you comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. The time is 4 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. And before we go to main currents, we'd like to keep those phone calls coming. We're here from 4 to 6 o'clock in the public affairs block, and we'd love to hear from you, so don't stop calling now. The number is 1-800-643-6273. Call in and support independent community media. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Wednesday, March 1st, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. When Congressman Bruce Poliquin failed to accept an invitation to hold a town hall meeting in Bangor, members of the local Indivisible group held it without him. It was standing room only as more than 100 people packed the lecture hall at the Bangor Public Library Saturday to make remarks that they wished to address to Poliquin. In his place, there was an empty chair with his name. The comments were recorded to be sent to him. Today on Main Currents, we'll give you a chance to hear what he missed. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa Hackett. I'm a resident of Albion, Maine. Um, Most definitely not a paid activist. (laughs) Um, I'm a concerned citizen, though. And I think we all are, and that's why we're here. After the election, um, like I'm sure many of you were feeling, I was very angry and concerned and scared. Um, I started reaching out and looking to different resources because I also felt very motivated by that fear and anger. Um, I came across the Indivisible Guide. I think a lot of you have probably already seen that document, looked at it, hopefully. Uh, What really spoke to me about that was that we don't just have to sit on our hands for the next two to four years and do nothing. Um, We can band together for strength in numbers. Uh, And we can go to our members of Congress and tell them how we feel, and tell them what we expect. Because whether there's an R or a D or an I in front of our names when we vote, they represent all of us now. We're their constituents, all of us. And the point of congressional recess is for our members of Congress to come home and meet with us and talk to us and hear our concerns and answer our questions. And it's our responsibility to hold them accountable to that. That's why I'm here today. That's why I wanted us to hold this event. And I wanted all of us to show up to make that demand of our congressman. There's a chair here where he could be. Like many of you, I called his office. We delivered invitations. I sent email. I showed up at rallies. I asked him to be here to hear our concerns and our issues. As far as I know, he did not hold any public events this week. I don't call a teletown hall a public event. I think we've gotten that answer from a few of our members of Congress, right, that uh, they don't hold town halls. Well, I think we've all decided that's not a good enough answer. Other members of Congress have held town halls. Um, We deserve to be heard, and um, we will insist that we're heard persistently. So he's not here this week. We're going to keep asking every time there's a congressional recess. We're going to keep demanding that he show up and answer our questions and hear our concerns. Despite the fact that he's not here, I think it's really important that we're all here because what we're all going to need for the next years to come is the support of each other and the strength of our communities. 
And I've been so heartened by all of the groups that have come together, all of the people who have put a lot of hard work and time into organizing and showing up when it was important to show up and say what needed to be said. Um, I want to say a few things about today. I think we're probably in a fairly friendly audience, so it probably doesn't need to be said. Um, but let's remember that we're asking for a dialogue. And a dialogue means speaking and listening. So let's try to make sure that we hold the bar very high in terms of hearing each other, being respectful, being considerate. There are a lot of people here today. I hope you're all intending to come up here and speak. Um, so let's make sure that we're concise so that there's plenty of time for everybody to speak. Um, everybody who came in hopefully got a, a little slip of paper. We are intending to um, hand back our feedback to the congressman, um, both video and comments. So if you don't feel strong or confident enough to come up to the lectern today, um, please know that you can write on the back of that paper whatever your concerns or asks are of the congressman and they will be shared with him. Please also include your name and your town of residence, again, to show that you are one of his constituents. And we will share that information. Um, just in terms of organization, we structured the event to talk about a few big topics that I would imagine most of us are concerned about. Certainly, we'll also leave time at the end for people to share anything additional that they want to talk about that maybe wasn't covered. It's sort of hard to keep up with everything. So. Um, we're going to start with um, talking about the possible repeal of the ACA. Um, if you want to come up and speak and you want to talk about several different things, please don't feel like you need to just talk about that and then come back up. You can say everything that you want to say when you come up. Um, what I'd like to do, I think, that makes the most sense is for people to just raise their hands if you want to speak now, um, and then we'll just cycle through that way. That works for everybody. OK, yes. Do you want me to come up? Yes, come on down. Can you say what other issues you're planning to focus Yes, um, so the ACA, um, the travel ban, the wall, we'll lump that together. <laughs> um, keeping people out, we'll call it that's the topic. Um, um, turning over Trump's taxes, and then the other category that we've left is, yes. The local media was invited and doesn't look like they're here. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. W-E-R-U is here. Yes. Uh, we also invited the Bangor Daily and W-E-R-U. Sorry. So, yes, so for that section of other, that can cover anything else that people want to talk about that wasn't covered already. Okay? All right. Go ahead when you're ready. Hello. My name is Cecily Judd, and I'm from Sullivan, Maine. And I am a clinical social worker, and the reason I wanted to speak was not only on my behalf, but on many people's behalf about the ACA. Um, about three and a half years ago, because of diabetes, I got a bone infection, and partly also due to working way too hard as a social worker, um, working many hours and very stressful jobs, I lost the lower part of my right leg. And I left my job to recover. And as people may know, Cobra it was extremely expensive. It was about $850 a month. And you can only have it for 18 months. So I was worried about health care because I had insurance when I had the surgery. So I applied for the ACA and was able to get health care. Now I still have a pretty high premium and a pretty high deductible and many co-pays, but because of that I've been able to have health insurance. My leg, which is a prosthetic, enables me to walk, 
to live independently, to work, to drive a car, um, to have a pretty normal life. And partly that was because I got excellent health care. I got physical therapy. When I learned how to walk on my prosthetic, I got physical therapy twice a week. And I've been very fortunate because I've been able to afford most of the co-pays. I'm at the point now where I had to take a catastrophic plan because the premium went up. And I have a $7,150 deductible. A basic prosthetic leg is $12,000 like an insulin pump, which I don't have, but many people do, is $9,000. And um, many Mainers, as well as many Americans, rely on the ACA. Many Mainers are self-employed. Um, there are many families who can't afford health care, even sometimes when it's provided by an employer if the cost, the shared cost is too high. So I hope Congressman Pollock, when hears this, do not repeal the ACA, make it better. And, and one of the things I benefit from with the ACA is you cannot be denied based on a pre-existing condition. And I've had diabetes for many years. And, and now I am quite healthy. I work out, I eat healthy, I don't drink alcohol, I have good blood sugars, I am in pretty good shape, but I cannot walk or live independently. I will be in a wheelchair if I can't afford a leg. So thank you, sorry I took so long. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yes, I saw a few hands. People want to raise hands again? Anna, you want to come up? Yep. My name's Anna Durand, and I live in Bar Harbor. And my husband and I, um, we have four kids. And we have been in, we've been small business owners, very small business owners for 25 years in Bar Harbor. Um, we've had a restaurant and then a bakery, and now we have a bed and breakfast. Um, my husband is also works for a tree service. Sorry, I'm really quiet. And I've done a lot of catering. He's worked at a caretaker. Like, we do everything that we can do. So in 25 years of business, I'm going to start on the, your left. Um, we think we've had probably about 75 employees over those 25 years. Um, we pay federal, both corporate and personal taxes. We pay state um, income tax. We pay property taxes. And we generate main sales tax. Um, we think we were close to, over 25 years, we think maybe close to half a million dollars of sales tax. Um, we have seven former employees. Um, our graduates, who we're very proud of, who now have their own businesses, and they employ others. Um, so now in the middle, this is my daughter, Phoebe. She's 20. She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 10. Um, type 1 diabetes is an incurable autoimmune disease. She must test her blood and inject insulin day and night, or she will die. And here, today I told her what my total was, and she said, I'm an expensive kid. <laughs> so for two weeks of Phoebe, keeping Phoebe alive, this is not anything but just literally living. Um, it, it's about $692.83, which is pretty, pretty direct. So we take four visits to her um, family nurse practitioner, who is wonderful at St. Joseph's, and those, are, I think, are $236 a piece. So that's, this, this is paying out of pocket without our ACA. Okay, so $1,060. Um, she gets one really big blood draw a year, and that was $1,426 last time we did it. Um, these are two different kinds of insulin, um, long-acting. The Levamir I called for a price today was $322.83. That vial will last her two weeks, this one. Um, and the Novolog is fast-acting insulin, and that is a $246 per vial for two weeks. Or, you know, she'll go through a vial of each of those. Um, she uses about 84 test strips 
which I don't have, they're kind of a biohazard, but this is 84 of them, and they cost about a dollar a piece. You can get fancy, exciting ones, or you can get cheaper ones, but they're, the average is about a dollar. Um, these are lenseps. So inside of each of those little drums is six um, little, like little razors that she pricks her fingers with um, to test her glucose and then give herself insulin based on what her glucose is. And here is 84 syringes, um, and that would be the amount of uh, injections that she would need in two weeks. And so the grand total is $20,499.58 just to keep my daughter alive. And this is not if she, assuming she's ever hospitalized. Thank goodness she never has been. Um, this is not... Um, oh, she also, we also buy a glucagon, which is like an emergency rescue um, thing. If she's passed out from a low blood sugar, we would inject her. Um, I think those are $230 a year. Um, you know, you have to buy one every year because it goes out of date. So... Um, with the ACA, we are happy to pay taxes, we're happy to pay our premium every week, uh, every month, and we um, are able to get a sizable um, subsidy through the ACA, and so we still pay co-pays for many of the things. She does get free insulin um, test strips, um, but we still pay a, a good-sized copay. but it's not... Um, between, I, I don't have the comparison, I'm sorry, but between our monthly premium for us and three kids and um, what we pay in co-pays for her, it's closer to about um, $700 a month and as opposed to <laughs> the $20,499 a year. So um, if we don't have ACA, we would sell our business. If we, if we lose our ACA, we will probably sell our business at some point, we would probably lose our house. I mean, this is, this is almost twice my house mortgage, this $20,000 out of pocket. Um, but we would probably have to sell our house. And if we, I don't know what we would do. She would die if we couldn't buy her insulin. And so I would say to Bruce Poliquin, who says that he is pro-life, but he is not pro-health insurance or pro-health care, um, I would say, I would ask, would you please strengthen the ACA and not repeal it? Uh, my name's Andrew Sarto. I live here in Bangor in the second district. You know, our founding document says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To have life, you have to have health. And you have to have health care. Right now, the way it is, yeah, we don't want ACA um, repealed, would like it fixed. But the truth is, health is a right. I don't want insurance of any kind for health. I want access to health care. That's what I want. To not have access to health care for everyone is immoral. And it needs to be framed not in economics. It needs to be framed in morality. That's what I have to say. Hi, my name's Al Larson. I live in Orono in the second district. And um, I'd like to speak about something that's very closely related to ACA, and that's Medicare. As you can see, I'm a senior citizen, and I'm enrolled in the Medicare program. And I'll read this because I don't want to mix some of my points here. But as a senior and a resident of Orono, I'm very concerned about Medicare and the possibility of changes to this very valuable program. As you know, the administrative costs 
of running it are substantially lower than the private insurance industry, and it basically runs very efficiently. I have paid into it my entire working life, and I want you, Poliquin, to keep it in place. The idea of a voucher system and privatization only can mean increased cost to those of us who depend on it for our medical needs. Those of us on fixed incomes would be hard hit and probably could not afford to take care of ourselves when medically necessary. Please think of the aging population in your district and keep things the way they currently are. And I had called his office, I wrote him a letter, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I guess, and I got a response from the letter, and all it was was a form letter saying, you probably got the same thing. Thank you for your input. I will think about it and consider it, period. No response to this, the topic that I brought up. And, and I called his uh, office two days ago and kind of said the same thing, and I said, I'd like to get a response. And the individual I spoke with took down my name and number and whatnot, and I, I, maybe I'll get something, but I certainly doubt it. If he's not responsive enough to talk to his constituents, then I'm probably not going to get much back. But I, if you're listening to this Representative Poliquin, I would like to get a statement from you saying that you will defend Medicare and you will support things as they are and you will not use a voucher system or privatization. Thank you. to Maine Currents on WERU. This is a town hall meeting held in Bangor on Saturday, organized by the group Indivisible Bangor. Congressman Bruce Poliquin declined invitations to hold a town hall meeting, so organizers invited his constituents to attend one without him, with the intention of recording comments and passing them along to Poliquin. Next to the podium, there was an empty chair with his name on it. Hi. Uh, my name's Melissa Berkey, and I'm from Bangor, and I keep hearing on TV um, Republicans saying that the Affordable Care Act is a complete disaster. And I don't understand that because my partner would not be alive today if it were not for the Affordable Care Act. So um, without him having access to affordable care, he would not have had any insurance. And so when the insurance policy became available to him and he was able to afford it, um, it was just a fantastic relief. And then just by whatever, um, he ended up having kidney cancer. And I know that he is the type of person that would have delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and sat there and been sick for years if he hadn't had that open access, that affordable access. And so he had a $60,000 surgery. That's what it would have cost. Um, and he's alive today and he's well and we're happy. And I've had it suggested to me that you could shop around. Now, so if you bring market principles to bear and you go and you shop around, then what if you could even get a 25 or a 30% discount? Suppose you could even find a 50% discount. And now your $60,000 surgery cost you 30000 Great, you're still broke. <laughs> Thank you.
Oh, gosh. Here are a lot of people. Uh, hi, I'm Mary Alice Hervet. I live in Blue Hill. My husband and I run a small business there. We both have Affordable Care Act policies that we're really happy with, provide us good insurance we can afford. Um, before I worked in this business, I was the uh, business manager for a small design firm. We had 10 employees, and for 10 years, I had to shop around for our insurance policies. And I do hear a lot, and this is also from a brochure that I got from Poliquin, that there's some tie between the rise in insurance costs and the ACA. Like, the ACA is why insurance premiums are so high. And I have to say, having shopped insurance policies for 10 years, there was never much choice in Maine, and they went up by 5 and 10 and 20% every single year that I looked at policies. There's repeal the ACA, we're not going to have lower insurance costs. We were lucky enough to talk to uh, the CFO of a large insurance company in Maine, we won't tell you who he is, um, and asked him, so if they repeal the ACA and it's now mandatory to have health care, do you see premium costs going down if they're insurance? And he said, absolutely not. You know, because it's common sense, they're going to go up. So I, I'd love for Congressman Poliquin to Answer the question, so why do you think, by repealing the ACA, our health care costs are going to go down? Thanks, everybody, for sharing. Um, it sounds like we're at a point where people can move on from the ACA. I mean, I don't feel like I can move on yet, but did you have something you want to share? Yep. Let's have that. We'll do this, and then we'll move on to um, the next topic. Hi. Um, my name is Hillary Farnold. I live in Brewer. Um, I'm a legal aid attorney. Um, I cover Washington, Hancock, and all of Aristic counties. Um, I've been lucky to have very good health, um, but I have struggled in the past with depression. Um, because of the ACA, I was able to stay on my dad's health insurance until I was 26. And um, it allowed me to finish law school um, and move back to Maine. Um, and so I just wanted to share that there are parts of the ACA that help people that people might not even know that it's the ACA. I have a cousin, um, who I won't name because I didn't ask his permission to share, um, who had um, a couple years ago was diagnosed with a really rare um, disease, one of the orphan diseases. Um, and his treatment is so expensive that I believe that without the ACA, um, he would have hit the coverage cap. Um, and he's younger than me. I have another friend who, um, while she was in college, I've known her since kindergarten, um, she was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, um, and she had to have her thyroid removed. Um, she has two young kids, and her husband is self-employed. Um, if the ACA is repealed, I'm scared for her. And I work with a lot of seniors, um, and I don't want them to struggle to pay for their prescriptions, and I know that um, the prescription donut hole could be an issue. M many people might not even know what that is, but um, it's something that I worry about, so I wanted to share. Good afternoon. My name is Jeff Gratwick. I live here in Bangor, and I actually represent Bangor and Herman in the Maine State Senate. And even though you um, 
you think that Mr. Poliquin is not here. It turns out Mr. Poliquin is here, and I brought a, post of, a picture of him, which is a gentleman with two different faces. And so here he is right now. In, uh, he, I find him very distressing. I just have, but I'm going to leave this here just so we can be reminded. <laughs> These pictures are really too nice. This is, this is, this, this, <clears throat> here, here I am. This is for... <laughs> Before and after, right. Uh, so I have three, three very brief things I want to say from my perspective. I'm a retired physician. I've been here for 40 years. And the reason I got into the legislature was because of this very issue, the whole question of uh, health care. Because what we have, I can go on at least for seven hours, but I'm going to spare you and I'm going to go for three minutes only. But this is the issue of defining our time. And I think we really, these kinds of groups are incredibly important. I have to say that my wife is getting a little exhausted because I recognize a bunch of people who were over in front of Susan Collins's office at 11 o'clock where we had the same kind of thing focused on health care. And Andy Sarto, who just talked, where is Andy? Andy, Andy had the best analogy of all, uh, saying that it's like being in a chorus when you're taught there's a long note that you've got to hang on at the end, and a long note, and everybody has to breathe at different times, so it looks continuous. And my main one thing I would say is don't give up. This is going to be a long haul. We all have to breathe pace yourself, keep going, because we need a meeting like this, but it's three times as big in uh, April and then seven times as big in July. And it, we have to really keep going. And to that end, we should have someone put around a sign-up sheet, because this is how you get a, what is it, a, what's it one called, a crowd, what's it called when people... <laughs> There's lots of words, but, yeah, but you get the idea. You know, if we, if we, if we have this internet, so we, we get people together for this flash mob. Flash mob. There we go. Here's here's the youngest member of us all over here. <laughs> John John knows all about flash mobs. So at any rate, I will and I'll help to send around a, a note because I just think it's very helpful to have people sign up. It, ain't, it might go to the FBI, and, and who cares? You know, we're all you know we we really need that. So one is to um, keep going on this. Second, how do you make an impact on someone like this? And my suspicion is you really don't in a very personal way, but nonetheless, we keep doing, we do it for ourselves. And the things that... That, pay, that get my attention are, number one, telephone calls, which my wife always answers, and my wife <laughs> keeps going, but it's, they get to me. Telephone calls are very personal. The second thing is writing personal letters. Form letters really don't work very much, but a handwritten letter is like, I want a response. And then, then no response. Next week, the same letter, I haven't heard from you yet. Next week, et cetera. You have to be persistent, because is there guilt up at that level? I'm not sure, but I think it's very important to keep working on that particular aspect. Uh, those are the things that make much difference, and, and uh, Indivisible has many other ways that you can get in touch. So, so there's the topic A. Topic B is politic, politics is still local, and there's lots going on in the state. And being very blunt, uh, how many here are from out of Bangor, away from Bangor? Also, oh, a bunch of people. So you guys are incredible, because to tell you, the, in Bangor, there are four representatives and one senator, and you really don't need to waste a lot of time on us on a lot of these issues. For, pe for people who are out of Bangor, particularly people who are from Brewer, uh, Senator Rosen, 
people who were from Hancock, Senator Langley. Senator, we talked about this before, Senator Langley was that one vote in the Senate two years, three years ago, 1717, and it became 1817 not to expand um, um, uh, main care. 1817, that was, that was, Senator Langley did that. Around here you also have um, the Senator Thibodeau, who's, who's south of us. You have Senator Cushing, and you know, Senator Cushing, and, and then you have lots of representatives, that, and those are the people that you really can get together. I want to have coffee on you. You can't do it this Saturday. How about next Saturday? How about next Saturday? Just keep, keep after them. It's just very, very important. And I'm happy to have coffee with anybody, too. But those are the guys who really, and the women who are really very, very important, just to meet with them persistently, because you're very, very, very important. Finally, um, in the, in the legislature here, you know, Maine is very interesting because we have a, a divided legislature and the governor is often doing his governor thing. Uh, but in the, um, in the legislature, I've had, and had significant support for single-payer bills since 2003. And they're different. In the legislature, you get to have a term of eight years. And it's been the last five years have been my privilege, I suppose, to, to sponsor those bills to have um, single-payer health care. And I think it's very important for people, particularly outside of Bangor, to hear, listen, we want the Maine legislature to act on that. So there are two bills that are coming up probably in April, May, and I think that's the more support we can get, and that's why this particular list is going to be very important, right to those people out of town, um, because that's, that's where it makes a difference. When you... Uh, Sometimes people stand up and they <clears throat> pontificate and say, well, everybody in my district, I have an overwhelming number of people in my district say this. It turns out a landslide, an overwhelming number of people is over four. And they've heard from more than, <laughs> more than four people. So if you can get more than four people with a particular issue, it really makes a difference. But thanks and keep up this. This is very important. Yeah. And we should open the window. It's, it's warm in here. Um, thank you for coming. Here's an example of an elected official showing up to hear what his constituents have to say. This is my day of woe, my day of doom. I've just been blocked by Bruce Poliquin on his Facebook page. Oh, woe is me. I'm so upset. Uh, I just wanted to point out that I'm the person who set up the, uh, the rally at MPBN this week with Susan Collins, where many of you came, and I want to thank you all for coming because... I'm Jean Curran, sorry. Uh, you were all marvelous, and there was a suggestion by Marie... Oh, oh, I'm going to say her name wrong. She, Marie of the uh, Mainers for Accountable Leadership to do the silent protest. Mm -hmm. If you have not seen the video of the silent protest, please watch it. It's devastating. It's devastating. And Mainers can be polite, but, but they know how to be polite and not nice at the same time. So, <laughs> And if you didn't hear her comments, her comment going in was, don't you all have to be at work? And, and then her comment on the way out was, I hope you do the same to all the other members of the congressional delegation. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay. Thanks, everybody, for your comments and your stories. Um, next topic of discussion is um, the travel ban, the wall, deportation. I think there's plenty to cover there, but feel free to speak on any of those points or all of those points. Anybody want to lead discussion with that? I just have one really small thing to say. And that's that if it goes along with what we were talking about, if we can spend $19 billion on a wall, why can't we have health care? Mm-hmm. And drug dealers and immigrants aren't stupid, you know, and they were having a lady that lived there, and she said, why doesn't he come down here and talk to us? And we can tell him, she, cause she said... Do you think that they're not stupid? You build a 20-foot wall, they're going to buy a 21-foot ladder, and they're going to come on in any way they can. And they're building underground, and I'm sure you've all seen the tunnels that they're putting in, and we're wasting all that money when it could be spent on the people, and it just really bothers me. My name's Jim McCleave. I live in Bangor. Second district, as you all know. Um, the wall seems like it's a far away from Maine. It's clear at the other end of the, of the country. But sitting on my desk at my home to go out in Monday's mail is a letter to each one of our congressional uh, delegation urging them not to authorize funding to build a wall and not to authorize the hiring of another 10 or 15,000 uh, border agents. The reasons are, are complex, but for the most part, they, they focus on financial things, which has already been mentioned. Terrible waste of money. Secondly, I think um, the whole concept, more broadly than just the wall and just the hiring of agents, is the message it sends to the world that we're against them all. Mexico's not our enemy. The Mexicans are not our enemy. Um, the Muslims are not our enemy. And so I think it's important to, to take on some of these small, <laughs> small, uh, these enormous walls. Uh, but at any rate, um, even though it seems far away, I think it relates to the broader question of what we do uh, to embrace people who want to come and live in the United States. My name's Sam Bergman from Hancock, and you know the previous speakers talked about the wall, but it's more than the wall. It's the ban, and it's the effort at deportations that have started, and it's one of the speakers about the ACA talked about. You know, it's not just economics. In fact, it's a moral issue. Okay, and uh, my mother came over to this country as a young child. My father was born here, but his parents came over. And unless you have Native American blood in you, we are all immigrants. And we all came trying to get away from something else. And the 
Too many people in Washington just don't don't get it. They don't get a lot of things. Uh, but in particular, you know, if you are from northern, western Europe, well, that's different than any other part of the world you might have come from. Unfortunately, that's the feeling. Uh, there was... There's just so much, it's, it's devastating. And, uh, you know, if I had time to compose this, I'd have a lot more to say, but I'm glad things are happening. Uh, we gotta keep it up. This is Maine Currents on WERU-FM. If you're just joining us, we're listening in on a town hall meeting that was held in Bangor on Saturday. It was organized by Indivisible Bangor with the intention of allowing constituents to address concerns to Congressman Bruce Poliquin. When it became clear that Poliquin was not going to show up, they decided to go ahead with the event anyway and record the comments for him. Hi, I'm Lucy Quimby. Um, I'm Jeff's wife, and I get the phone calls, and I welcome the opportunities. And I take very careful notes, and Jeff gets them all. But what I came up to say is that um, my niece, um, Jeff's brother's daughter, um, is Muslim. Um, She studied Arabic. She converted to Islam. Uh, She married a Pakistani. Um, They have two beautiful uh, children, and they came to visit us this summer. And um, at a number, quite a few years ago, um, I myself studied Arabic. And um, in my young adult search for a religious affiliation, thought seriously about becoming Muslim myself. Um, It's such a patriarchal society, I knew I couldn't stand it. (laughs) Um, But but I did take seriously... um, I, I, I love the idea that rain is wonderful but comes directly from God. You know, I always go out in the rain. And I did memorize, I won't burden you with it now, the first surah of the Quran that has a lovely line in it. I'm going to murder it because I don't speak well. Ihtina asirat al mustikim asirat aladhi anamta alayhim khayru ma'dub alayhim wala dalin. And it says, guide us on the narrow path of the rightly guided, the path that God is, the path that God favors, and not the path of those that uh, God is angry at. And I had a discussion. I talked with my niece and her husband when they were with us this summer. I'm I'm sorry, it's so important to me spiritually. I I may tear up because the Sirat al-Mustaqim has been very, very important in my own life about those times when you have to really pay attention to keep your balance. And I asked them, because this is like my personal interpretation of the Quran, and, you know, did it have any echo at all in what Muslims who are very serious about their religion, which they are, would think? And they said, yes, absolutely. And it has to do with finding that place in your heart where you are connected to the rest of humanity. And If my niece and her husband and their children go to visit their family in Pakistan, 
Will they have difficulty getting back into the United States? I mean, this is crazy. So thank you. My name is Max Treitler. I live in Blue Hill. I'm the other half of uh, running a small shop there. You heard from my wife earlier. Um, my father, Leo, was born in Dortmund, Germany in 1938. Um, actually, he was born in 1929. They left in 1938. At the time that they left, uh, my aunt, who was older than him, was getting beaten up going to and from school by people wearing brown shirts. Um, what's really strange is that I grew up a very sort of dull, well-behaved, suburban kid, son of, son of a sort of moldy academic, and it wasn't ever part of my life. Um, but when I read about those things, my father is studying his, his past now. And I question how our representatives can stand up in the morning, can pour, calmly pour themselves a cup of coffee if the people fleeing bombing in Syria, in Yemen, in Sudan, and we, rather than finding a solution for them, we close the doors and we call them threats to us. And I think, I think the congressman can expect better of himself. I was actually going to say a couple of things on a topic that I think might be a slightly closer to the heart of the congressman, uh, which are questions of um, fiscal responsibility, fiscal accountability, fiscal uh, propriety. These are things that terms that get thrown around a little bit, used a lot, often as weapons against those of us who have outrageous expectations of things like healthcare. Um, <laughs> So the little I've understood about the uh, obviously mad plan to build a wall is that the only businesses, I, I do have to be a little bit responsible for a business even though I get to do mostly the fun part and sadly my wife has to do most of the accounting. But, um, <laughs> but the, most of the businesses who are in any position to create the wall are actually not in this country. The border zone is long and large, and they're actually Mexican businesses. Now, I don't have any particular problem with that, but the idea that, that, that the other country is going to build, uh, pay for building its wall in turns out will be a massive cost, which will then be funneling jobs off, out of the country, as a matter of fact. Um, seems odd. I, I, I find it odd that the congressman or his colleagues hasn't found it necessary to ask questions about why New York City is paying $500,000 a day to protect the wife of the president and his youngest son. Those are funds that New York City will come asking for, and they will come out of the federal kitty. I, I wonder why the congressman and his colleagues haven't found the time to ask questions about why the president's sons managed to be jet-setting around the world on business trips, opening up golf courses and hotels, and receiving extraordinarily expensive federal protection, uh, uh, Secret Service protection. I uh, wonder why the congressman and his colleagues hasn't had time or interest in asking about 
vacation, well, <laughs> trips to Florida, which have shut down an entire island, have had the Coast Guard man 24-7. I think people were right to ask under earlier presidents which trips were necessary and which were not. I think it would be fascinating to find which of these trips were. Clearly. And I suppose that's it. I'll be very interested in any answers. Thank you. My name is Vivodanand. I live in Melbridge. Um, since we're talking about the travel ban, I just want to point out that it's generating a lot of stereotyping and fear. Just a classmate of mine in India, from 1954, he lives in Delaware. He's about to take a vacation in somewhere in the Caribbean. And he wrote to me last week and he said, my passport, he's been a citizen since 1992, he said, my passport says, country of birth, Yemen. He said, what do you think I should do? Do you think they'll harass me? I said, well, there's something called TSA pre-check, and you can pay for that. And so he filled out all the paperwork. He and his wife both were Indians born in Yemen. And I just got an email from him. He's, he said, you know, they've sent my passport down to Washington to be, pre, to be further vetted. You know, and here's a man who has been on a British passport all this time. Yemen was a British colony, and he was born there. His parents were civil servants and or foreign servants, whatever, in, in the British colony, and so now he's having to pay, pay a price for it. And there are, other, there are many, many other stories that immigrants come up with. So, you know, my kids are, are vacationing in Mexico, and for some reason or other, they came, came back via Canada. It just happened that that's the flight they took, but I thought for a moment that he was being, being smart, not coming through the Mexican border. Hi, I'm Patty Kenny. I'm a therapist here in Bangor, self-employed. I have an ACA policy as well. Um, but I want to introduce myself also as the great-granddaughter of illegal immigrants. And I didn't know that until I went to Ellis Island last summer and went to look up ancestors on my family tree. And the, I couldn't find anyone. And the woman, very kind, who was there to help, came over and she said, well, we like to encourage people to look in an age range younger than the one that you have as reported them coming here as. She said most people came here, um, came here illegally by age. They were too young to immigrate uh, legally. And so sure enough, that was the solution. So I am the great granddaughter of illegal immigrants. And Bruce Poliquin might be more willing to consider fiscal pieces um, to this 
certain issue. Uh, I think it's been pretty well documented in the last week that estimates are that the, tra the immigration bans um, and this deportation roundup will cost our GDP $5 trillion in the next five years. Um, illegal immigrants have, their estimate is, and it may be low, have paid $11.6 million in taxes. If they're given citizenship, they will give us an additional $2.6 billion, so maybe that would be attractive to the congressman. Um, Maine, the state he represents, is in desperate need of immigrants. Our population... Our population is rapidly aging, and we don't have the young people coming in to replace the older workers who are leaving the workforce. Um, and I guess personally, uh, from a moral place, to me, this nation's one great thing is its diversity, is the fact that we are this incredible, chaotic mess of different cultures and ethnicities, religions. Um, I think that gives us our innovation. That's why we are known as a creative population. And I think that, like water, if we don't have a new influx all the time, we become stagnant and die. So I hope the congressman will consider that. Thank you. Hi there, um, my name is Nathan Rittenbeck and I live in Brooklyn, Maine. And um, I wanted to say that um, I don't expect Representative Poliquin to agree with all of us here or all of his constituents. We live in a pluralist, pluralistic society in which um, people disagree about things and that's natural. Um, and they even disagree vehemently. But in order to have a productive society, um, one of the things I do is teach math and science, um, among other things. And um, I always try to tell my students, you know, you have to agree on what the basic facts are about the world. <laughs> and you have to stand up and have um, the moral courage to, to, to call a fact a fact and not hide behind partisanship and um, convenience to avoid... Um, the facts. And I want to tell another personal story, um, and this is one that maybe will hit the representative close to home. Um, my great uncle is a man um, who I had the good fortune of knowing, who some of you may remember. His name is Elliot Richardson. <clears throat> and um, he was, for those of you who don't know, he was appointed Attorney General by Richard Nixon. And um, it was his moral courage to stand up and call a fact a fact, and to stand up against his own boss, his own party, all of the political fortunes, and to say, I will not do this, you are a liar. And I expect the same thing from all of our representatives, doesn't matter what party they're from, in order to have um, a civil society in which the rule of law prevails, we 
must agree on what basic reality is. And, and nothing makes me angrier than when somebody like Bruce Poliquin or Paul Ryan or many of the other representatives who are supposed to be representing us all fail to stand up and take the moral courage and just do the basic thing and call a lie a lie. And that's all I wanted to say. I'm Trish Ladd from Glenburn, and I just want to read what I've written. The travel ban and the deportation actions are damaging to our country's reputation as a leader in science, innovation, and technology. The world's leading scientists and thinkers are surely now wondering if it's worth moving their families here to work or whether it's safe to travel here to participate in science conferences. Are we okay with giving up our place as world leaders in science and technology and instead being seen by the rest of the world as being backwards, that we don't respect scientific progress from many to solve our world's problems? Hi, I'm Katie Greenman and I live in Orland. And I... I'm going to read from my notes, but instead of increasing deportations and enacting travel bans and building walls, we really need to be taking a much closer look at the economic policies and the foreign policies that contribute to the growing numbers of refugees and the continuous flow of migrants seeking a better life. And I went to Washington um, the day after the inaugural for the March on Washington, and one of the most powerful speeches was delivered by a six-year-old girl, Sophie Cruz. And as she spoke up, speaking about how all of us have the power to work together, she was defending the right of her family to stay together. She has undocumented parents. And her greatest fear is that they will be deported and her family will be divided. Um, if you haven't heard her speak, Google her. You can, you can get her on iTube. And it is the most powerful thing from a six-year-old child. So we need to listen to the children. Thank you. And that's all we have time for for today, but the speakers went on for at least another half hour or so in a video of the full town hall meeting that was held at Saturday in Bangor is posted on WERU's Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash WERUFM. We did live uh, Facebook video from the event and... Uh, You'll have to scroll down a few posts on our Facebook page to find it, but it is still posted there. The event was organized by the group Indivisible Bangor. Despite Congressman Bruce Poliquin not accepting an invitation to attend or to schedule his own town hall in Bangor, the group decided to hold the meeting and record comments to be sent to him. And that's main currents for today. Join us here every Wednesday at 4 for independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. You can reach me at news at weru.org if you have story ideas or suggestions. And if you appreciate independent media and would like to support our work, this is the time that you can be part of the process. Call 1-800-643-6273 and make a pledge. 
We all like to say that we support independent media. We don't want our media influenced by corporate influences. So how we do that here is the community supports us. Again, the number's 1-800-643-6273. And uh, we'll be back after some messages at the beginning of Democracy Now! to tell you about a book that you could get into the watering can for a drawing uh, to be held if you call in during this public affairs block. I'll be joined by Matt Murphy and we'll tell you all the numbers and where we stand now in the pledge drive. But go to your phone, call one 800-643-6273 and then you can sit back, kick back, enjoy the rest of the night and know that you've done your part to support independent media in your community. Again, it's 1-800-643-6273. You can also go online to weru.org and uh, make a pledge there, a secure pledge. We may not get your name right away to thank you during this hour, but we will definitely thank you later and uh, you'll be supporting community radio. Make a donation in whatever amount works for you at 1-800-643-6273. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, non-profit organization focused on reviving